After contemporary art economies became global and the increasing professionalization of the artist took root, one of its key features has risen to the top, the artist residency. What should the primary goal of an artist residency be? Well, I think it should be inspiring. What about this? <laughs> that sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> the growing phenomenon and profusion of the artist residency is overdue for some reflection, as it drives an increasingly nomadic community of practitioners from site to site and shapes our blown out contemporary art world. This is Momus the Podcast, and I'm your host, Sky Gooden. For this episode, I'm bringing in Lauren Wetmore, a colleague and close friend who I attended grad school with, and who's been working on a book with me for the past few years, focused on the phenomenon of artist residencies. Given our art world's peripatetic community of practitioners, one increasingly bent on professionalizing and globalizing, what are the artist residency's implications? What are its effects? What are its risks, rewards, damages, and gains? Some attention paid is long overdue. Lauren has worked in Banff, London, Brussels, the Middle East, and has a good sense of the itinerancy and precariousness of the contemporary art world. I thought it'd be good to start with her recounting her first experience of artist residencies. You and I went to OCAD together, and I think it was when we were kind of wrapping up the end of our degree, and I was thinking, okay, what is the thing that I'm going to do next? And um, we had been told so kind of like unequivocally by, um, by the leaders of our courses that we were just absolutely not gonna get jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. So I remember being like, well, okay, so what's next then if it's not a job? And uh, the Banff uh, Center was, you know, it loomed large at that time in Canada. I think it still does, mm -hmm. but I think then it was like a really, you know, Kitty Scott was there and um, it was a really important time. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely on my radar. And then I applied for a residency that was led by uh, Jan Verwert. So Jan was um, giving us his first presentation about what he thought as the leader of this thematic residency, about what he imagined we were going to do together, experience together. And he showed this clip of... Um, the Muppet Show, when the episode where Harry Belafonte um, was a guest and he uh, performed the song, the banana song. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that song. No, you know, like, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'll sing it, but we're going to cut it out. <laughs> it's like. Come, Mr. Tallyman, Tally me banana. Hey, I come and we wanna go home. You know this one, right? I'm sorry, excuse me. It's it's kind of a call and response. But anyway, so Harry Belafonte is on. He's on the prow of this ship, and I think Fozzie is like his assistant, and he's singing this song. And the way that the song unfolds is that he's like. Um, the number of bananas keeps growing <laughs> and the person bringing the bananas is always somebody new and then of course because it was the Muppets there's like an endless cast of characters to be like <laughs> you know presenting these bananas I think what he was trying to get at uh, was that this was kind of a, a chorus or yeah a chorus of individuals and that we were all coming together to kind of make something I imagine he like 
you know, really positioned himself as the Harry Belafonte character, which, you know, <laughs> I don't blame him. He's really beautiful in that video. Um, <laughs> but I remember, yeah, almost instantly being like, this is insane. And I'm here for seven weeks. <laughs> like, and um, over that time, I've had, you know, different experiences with residencies. Like, I actually ended up working at the Banff Center as a program coordinator for the residencies, and I coordinated three residencies um, there. I did a residency in Barcelona as a curator, and also in, in Beirut with Martin, who we interviewed for the podcast. But um, I think that at that, that point of thinking, like, what is this, has never really left me. And even as, even as we've, uh, you know, it has nothing to do with Jan and his presentation of the Muppets, which I, in retrospect, was, was really useful. Um, but it was still this moment where you're, sitti you're sitting around with all of these, like, essentially strangers who you're expected to live with and work with and produce something together somehow. Um, yeah, and it just, it's, it's, it seemed very elusive in that moment. We spoke to a variety of experts in their fields, all of whom demonstrate specific but also wide-ranging knowledge of artist residencies. This includes residency directors, artists, residency founders, and critics. We wanted to look into and outside of institutions and reflect the international nature of this subject. Some of our leading questions in this research are, one, who are they for? Two, how do they function? And three, what kind of practice is this advancing? I spoke with Swiss curator Daniel Bauman, whose opinions on the subject were laid out with criticality and wit in a Freeze article from 2016 titled, Taken for Granted. We addressed this article and its pointed skepticism later in the episode. However, Bauman first establishes his early awareness of the artist residency as global phenomenon. Yeah, so my name is Daniel Bauman, and I'm the director of Kunsthalle Zurich in Switzerland. Throughout the trajectory of your career, when did you become aware of the artist residency as something that was starting to really entrench itself in the contemporary art circuit uh, and become a facet of, uh, of what a career would involve? There were like two moments I started to question the, the whole thing. One was when traveling became extremely uh, cheap. And that was uh, probably end of the 90s, beginning of 2000. You had what we call... Um, in Europe, uh, the, the EasyJet generation. So uh, all of a sudden, you could fly for, uh, let's say, $40 uh, to wherever you wanted in Europe. So traveling became extremely uh, cheap, and people started to organize themselves, meet their friends who had moved to some place, let's say Berlin uh, or Vienna, and hang out with them and, and work with them. So. The idea of a residency initially has been to bring people into new contexts in different worlds, but that all of a sudden uh, felt a bit old-fashioned because they would do it anyway on their own. That was the first thing. And then the second uh, moment, I just met a lot of young artists and it didn't seem to me that they that it really had a profound effect on, uh, on their production.
I've been interested in the phenomenon and effect of artist residencies in contemporary art since taking a trip to Argentina six years ago to sit on the sidelines of a residency my boyfriend was participating in and noticing that all the artists he was working with there were taking half their days to apply for the next artist residency. It alerted me to the machinic quality of this model, whereby you structure your calendar and your ability to produce around these residencies. Witnessing this two-month collaborative artist residency, wherein the artists were mandated to make an exhibit work by the end of it, also piqued the question for me, are these good for the work? Questions around the benefits and strains of quote-unquote forced collaboration also arose as I watched these artists dissolve into so many spoken and unspoken, and sometimes drunkenly shouted, upsets and impasses. Ultimately, I wondered, where did the artist residency, its model and now its popularity, come out of? I spoke with Christy Trinier, a Canadian curator, artist, and a former director at the Banff Centre, about the history of this phenomenon and how we got to this place of proliferation and corporatization. Yeah, like if you trace the development of residencies, they kind of, they come, a lot of them, from the academy system, you know, where artists were wanting to live amongst each other to share ideas and practice. Um, or they come from this colony model, which, you know, again, unless you lived in a place like New York or London during certain periods of time where naturally the most interesting artists were your neighbors and you were habiting the same places, it can be isolating to practice as an artist and you want to be around others and have, you know, kind of new insights into what is interesting. And this you know, eventually has to be separate from an academy system because we all know that PhD programs and degrees don't make artists. You know, you have in America, you have these artist colonies and obviously this word of the colony, you know, where artists are living in commune with each other. Um, you know, that kind of increased in the 60s and 70s where artist communes were quite common. Um, and then, you know, I would trace kind of like a really important period of being kind of pre-World War II. So you had, you know, the Bauhaus with artists living together in, an, in a school setting, but then creating, you know, as World War II encroached with fascism, breaking it up, a lot of those faculty and artists established some of the more interesting residencies and, and were faculty in some really cool programs over in North America. So... You, know, you had the BAM School of Arts. You also had Black Mountain College, uh, Emma Lake School, which is connected to the University of Saskatchewan. These were retreat um, places for artists to meet together. But it, I think it was really the 1980s when things got really commercial and you would start to see programs uh, charge artists rather than invite them and pay for the artist to come to the program. And so artists would get the money by applying for grants or having highly professional practices where they could afford that. Artist residencies take their seat in a precarious art economy, of course. They stand in for the studios we can't afford or the buildings we get evicted from. But what has happened in recent artist generations that has landed us here when we're relying on artist residencies for our living? You know, you definitely can see with websites advertising literally thousands of residencies that at this point it has become kind of an Airbnb model for art making, like that residencies are places where you can hop from one city to another and live 
kind of a, a more transient life as an artist and connect to many places, network like crazy, et cetera. And so rather than it being a really rare occurrence for artists to go to residencies, all artists are going to residencies a lot now and they're just much more accessible. But many institutions are using the residency model to kind of sometimes fund other practices within their institution. You know, like you kind of see two different types emerging. Uh, residencies that pay and support artists to come or the opposite where the artists pay to come. And those are kind of two different models with two different outcomes. And um, it, you know, then you do see business models with goals and um, targets and numbers of artists. And it becomes, you know, like how many can you manage at one time and how many practices can you really support? With the sheer number of residency programs internationally, it follows that there are almost as many ways that they function for the myriad of different players in the contemporary art field. Artists, curators, museums, universities, etc. Michelle Grabner is an artist, educator, and curator, and has an unusually wide scope of experiences with residencies in the United States. In addition to occasionally doing production residencies herself, she has served as faculty member for residency programs and incorporated residencies into her curatorial projects. Grabner is a professor at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and so is in the unique position of speaking to the role residencies play in the professionalization of artistic practice through higher education. The question has to be stepping back. Um, you know why? You know what's happening within uh, you know the, the bigger global art world, art world in which this is an articulated value. Um, you know, is it because there are so many more artists in the world these days working, and this is some way of setting forth a relationship to place and to other artists um, in the form of thinking through networking? Uh, probably. Uh, you know, is it? because there are fewer teaching jobs in the world? Is it a relationship to the commercial entities or, uh, within the art world? So all these things obviously have to play or have some impact on um, why the residency has become so prominent and so desirable uh, for artists. And I'm talking now, especially for young artists who are just emerging out of grad school, but I cannot tell you how many of my students, again, as I was saying, whether at Yale or SAIC or when I do a lot of visiting artist gates at different institutions, and I ask those who are about to graduate or are in their last year of graduate studies what they plan to do, and it's just I get a list of string of residency. I've participated in making residencies in Banff, Barcelona, and Beirut. I've also hosted living and working environments for artists at the 2013 Carnegie International in Pittsburgh and Freeze Projects in London. Across these experiences, I've observed that artist residency models are consistently adopting strategies of international exchange or site swapping between unique hosts. These can be productive opportunities for cultural networking and correspondence, and can help defray costs across multiple institutions. However, cross-cultural engagement can result in unbalanced exchanges as well. I'm Aaron Cesar, and I'm the director of Delphina Foundation in London. And over the last 10 years, I've overseen 350 residences. 
I spoke to residency director Aaron Cesar, who's focusing on establishing opportunities for balanced relationships between artists in the UK and the Middle East. Aaron's approach to the complicated business of cultural exchange is to create links and find commonalities between artistic practices. Now, the language of cultural exchange within the notion of residency is very problematic, mm. which I immediately kind of recognized when I was asked to kind of be director of this new initiative that would look at uh, artistic exchange um, between the Middle East and, and the West. Because in Britain, you can't work with a region <laughs> like the Middle East that's been completely kind of remapped and um, colonized, you know, through actions of this country. Or complicity of this country and some of the, the decisions that were made in the Middle East uh, historically. And so that the whole notion of cultural exchange is often based to me on an imbalance mm. as a starting point. And so we started to think of more dynamic and nuanced ways to engage the Middle East and North Africa. And over time, that evolved from being a program that looked at geography as a starting point one that looked more at, uh, at common practices. So how does one then kind of rethink that kind of engagement with a region, a region that is not even, it can't even really be categorized as a region. It's, right. you know, the Middle East is more than 20 countries, different languages, different religions, different economic systems. After discussing the inconsistencies of site and center with Aaron, we continued the conversation with Christy Trinier about the vagaries of the term residency and also about the ideal. What does the ideal require? Like to me, the artist residency, it, it goes back to this word of like residing. So how an artist resides with others, where they reside, and who is hospitable to an artist's practice. If there's an expectation of production or a certain type of work coming out of an artist's residency, that's when you can see things also becoming more commercialized. If the expectation is that an artist gets to live in a place and really live, like be welcome to live the way they want to in a space that they normally wouldn't have access to, the long outcome of that production can, can take a decade. I, I mean, I was in a residency... Um, with some very conceptual artists, and I think it was just recently, this is like more than 12 years ago, we were in the residency together, and an artist just finished their work out of that research time. So the arc of effect for an artist can be really, really long, and the same going for whoever is hosting it. Like, if they're hosting it for the best of intentions, which is not about huge quantities of artists coming through and... Um, really living with each artist that comes to stay with them in their community and taking time to adapt to each of those practices, then there's a real shift that happens. And that's, that's the kind of program that I think has the best effect and or the kind when you're bringing together just really brilliant artists with thinkers where that would not happen in any other context and they get to spend time together. As an artist, I think the most valuable experiences I had were the ones where it wasn't about supporting large quantities of artists coming through. 
and and it wasn't a corporate kind of model or business model, the residency format. Um, the ones I liked the best were actually connected to some type of contemporary art center where they were inviting an artist in to live and work around them because they were trying to reflect the need for that type of lived practice. So I would say, you know, like that I, I am concerned by some of the commercialization that I've seen in residency programs and, you know, with the sheer number of them cropping up, which are not really taking into effect what an artist really might need. And I do prefer more specific residency models where they are supporting artists by bringing in curators, having really considered programs that are in themselves a form of, of um, contemporary art discourse. So it's about bringing together some of the most interesting thinkers and artists together to see what will happen as the residency is a model for experimentation and to generate practice in that way. Those are the ones that I think have an actual impact. Those are the ones that I think are needed. Daniel Bauman wrote a snappy feature for Freeze last December that criticized the artist residency model for taking too much from artists. He writes, in a time of low-cost airlines and Airbnb, do we still need artist residencies? Nowadays, almost anyone could launch a residency if they wanted to. Just choose a location, give the program a name, book some flights in an apartment, and post the details online. Suddenly, you're a patron or a sponsor. Residencies are now ubiquitous, and they often turn out to be collateral events, with the bulk of the funds being directed towards related infrastructure. So this got me thinking, one of the baseline, if largely unspoken, expectations sewn into the artist's residency is that of inspiration. It is the engine that fuels their existence, to my mind, and the slightly lurid suggestion that if we parachute into a foreign or even exotic locale and set up our easels, the ideas that have been eluding us will simply flood in. I discussed this with Daniel. I mean, that's a term that cropped up uh, for me as I was reading through this piece again this morning is uh, inspiration, which it's a term that we recoil from, but it's uh, maybe the most, it's the through line for this whole economy of moving through the world and, and uh, jumping into foreign situations, I think, is to try to charge or spark an inspiration. And uh, the reason for it is that inspirations say you can't plan them. You know, they come most of the time when you don't expect them. So, and I think that that would be the, that's the dream of the residency. That's why they, these programs exist, because they, there is a hope that um, they provide artists with inspiration, but that's almost like a paradox because inspiration, you can't plan inspiration. Rather than pursuing a continuity of practice, it's about like kind of a break. I mean, like a rupture. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Some kind of rupture. Yeah, some some kind of shift that happens. And again, that shift doesn't have to be positive. Um, it can be really uncomfortable and a, a kind of I'm leaving, not knowing. Um, you know, and that is that's movement. Uh, so anything that kind of moves, uh, as you said, uh, uh, or shifts or ruptures. Um, you know, a, a, a continuity of of thinking in practice um, mm. is important. Uh, you know, I know residencies are, but some of them are. Um, 
maybe yada, it's about continuing or finishing a project, right? It is, yeah. you know, their goal is to help them realize uh, something that has been worked on, but somebody didn't have the time to do that. You know, that's all fine and dandy. I, I, I'm more interested in that, uh, understanding residencies as, um, you know, an extension of some, something that kind of, uh, it's a new, it, you're in a different context. By nature, you're changing your location to the world, your relationship to time to the world, your relationship to people, all that changes. How could your uh, thinking about what you're doing not change? Of course. And, 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 and that the embrace, that change is not, that change is the thing that you're after. You know, come to more full knowledge of what you know and what you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Trusting that artists know what they need and try to offer through resources, uh, the resources that, I mean, that they have for artists, what they need, not what the residency needs, not what, um, you know, past outcomes have been, not what their granting agency needs to hear, um, you know, um, trust artists. Um, have, and, and I think that's a very, very difficult thing to do. Uh, you know, it seems really easy. It flows out of my, my mouth, but it's not. Um, I think it's a very hard thing because expectations, again, are coming from all kinds of places before they come from, you know, uh, the artists who are participating. What connects Daniel and Michelle's reflection is that a change in environment can recharge an artist's practice. This is what we're chasing when we talk about inspiration or when Michelle mentions the value of rupture. Artist residencies themselves have observed this and begun to incorporate these shifts in environments into their programming. Sky recently flirted with a residency like this. You know, I had the opportunity to take a residency aboard a cargo ship traveling across the Pacific Ocean. It was called 23 Days at Sea. Uh, it was traveling from Vancouver to Shanghai. Um, and I did ultimately decline because in order to do this for research, I would have had to pay like some ungodly sum. But one of the boats I had the opportunity to go on took another person, a British artist named Rebecca Moss, and then ended up dropping anchor in international waters because the shipping company went bankrupt and no port would have them. It was a totally surreal situation. And the residency director, Kimberly Phillips, ever committed to interpreting and contextualizing the issue within a broader global conversation, reflected in writing, so I'll quote, the immensity of this news, as devastating as it was for the hundreds of workers affected, underscores many of the residency's core concerns, indicating both the precariousness of globalized capitalism and our dependence upon systems that we neither see nor understand. It also underscores the considerable role that contemporary artists may play in bringing such situations to our attention in provocative and transformative ways. So I wondered if it didn't bring to light another question though, what are artists doing here? Is it a good thing that we're entering into spaces other than the academe, the white cube, the retreat, or an ultimately ridiculous conceit that we should have any part to play in a space of labor and one so vulnerable to the dramatic fallouts of a precarious globalized capitalism? The hardest criticism that I think can be held at artist residency programs is the whole notion of artists parachuting in and out of places, particularly when there is a community um, and support system around a residency program and how irresponsible in a way it is to bring artists into a place where they're not going to have a real deep engagement and then they leave and they leave that community behind. When Lauren and I were preparing for our interviews, we came up with a set of questions that we would ask each of the participants. One of them was, what is the ideal environment for an artist to work in, in isolation or in a community? 
Oh, definitely um, a community. So on both sides, it will always remain uh, superficial. I think the isolation part, you can do it yourself. You know, if you don't want to talk to anybody, you just close the door. <laughs> sure. That's a, that's a <laughs> DIY hack right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Martin means twice. Well, I mean, it, it, it actually means a lot of things. It could mean um, in succession, twice, double. Maritain is a residency space founded in 2012 by George Auda and Jared McCormick in their home in central Beirut. George is an artist and currently lives and works at a university in Qatar. Jared has just begun a professorship in global studies and social anthropology at the University of Pittsburgh. As they're often away from their home in Beirut, their mission is to provide a space, part residency and part home base, to encourage independent projects, research, engagement and practice in Lebanon. After having spent time in Maritain, it was nice to talk to them about how they began and what propels them. One of the things that was really important for me was that it didn't just become another empty apartment in Beirut or like a summer home, or because there's so many of them. You know, mm -hmm. But it was a space that was always occupied, filled with people, engaged, um, being engaged by people, and um, in a place where uh, there could be conversation and discourse. To work on a piece of writing, to kind of stumble and hit a dead end, to make those mistakes that are intrinsically a part of the process of kind of producing, quote-unquote, good work. I think one of the things that we really try to, to emphasize through, through the, the residency is allowing people kind of that, that open structure where you don't have to produce something at the end. Um, and it's open enough where you can kind of work through whatever it is, whatever you're in, that be that, that, that sense of isolation or community. So sometimes an artist in a large center is completely distracted by, you know, maybe their academic day job, their board work, their, you know, sometimes the relationships in a, even a big city can get kind of congenital in an art environment. And it's good for an artist to separate themselves and experience a new art community so that they can see their work with fresh eyes and that they can also shift the way that they are known to work. And that can be really important. And um, I've seen many artists um, do that to great effect. Um, the other model, you know, where an artist is really in isolation already, then they do need more programming and maybe to engage with a network they would never have access to before. Um, this is where I've seen the effect from many Indigenous art colleagues of mine, amazing artists who... Um, found that residencies supporting Indigenous art practices were really valuable because they were able to connect to other Indigenous artists from around the world, you know, Sami artists from Scandinavia to Australian Aboriginal artists and also, you know, Indigenous artists from across Canada. You know, when they were together, they told me that they didn't have to preface conversations 
with a kind of settler awareness, they could jump straight to talking as, you know, in a very frank way with each other, and that helped the practice. So in Canada, I think that um, residencies that are quite specific supporting practices in that way have been really um, important. And you can see that legacy here. In preparing for this episode, Sky and I wanted to express our skepticism of the artist residency's ubiquity and economy, but also seek out its best examples. Christy was able to show us what a good model looks like and how a community can be forged or strengthened by its presence. Given this, it was then interesting to hear Michelle talk about how even though residencies seem to have become a near requirement in a practice, for an artist, they're not always useful. What's kind of the alternative? Like for somebody that you would dissuade from doing a residency, what is the alternative kind of step or... Um... Yeah, no, well, in some cases it's just uh, getting used to finding a job and making uh, work at the same time. Uh, that kind of relationship to uh, life, right? Yeah. A, a much more conventional relationship to life yeah. is um, sometimes called for. Um, yeah. You know, and I would say that the residency is not conventional. And, and in some cases that's that's not very helpful, but but I do think that um, um, that maybe would be my concern that um, it seems to delay a kind of relationship to the world. Uh, this is where I'm, I'm most concerned for some artists, anyways, um, and I would say many of them coming out of school. That the idea of going unthinkingly right into a life in residencies right after school is a way of delaying a relationship to a of some realities that have to be, you know, confronted um, and, you know, there's a, a putting it off. And again, there's mm -hmm. a psychology why we're putting, young people are putting that off because the world sucks. I mean, there's, there's some really <laughs> shitty things that are going on and one may need, you know, protect one studio and, and keep it in a bubble for a little bit longer. But, you know, sometimes I will be very clear to, a, to somebody I'm working with just saying, you know, pop that bubble and step into it now. One of our other set questions has to do with the role of residencies in institutions, particularly biennials and festivals. Increasingly, residencies have become essential programming in these sorts of projects. We wanted to understand what specific goals residencies can achieve in these settings, as well as their potential pitfalls. It's very true for projects for biennales um, and other kind of main, main exhibitions. You can take you know, document as kind of one example. When artists go in, and attempt to address or respond to what is really a very local issue. Mm -hmm. And to do so with often with disregard for the thinking and the work that's already being done on the ground by other artists or by grassroots organizations or by NGOs. And then suddenly this artwork, this project that's produced by this international artist is the one that's held up as kind of this example of what is taking place, you know, in Athens, in Afghanistan, in wherever. And um, residencies have provided the framework often for those types of projects. And host institutions often help to facilitate those kinds of interactions without thinking about the long-term impact, the negative impact, I mean, in this case, or the possibilities for a long-term opportunity if a, such a project was adapted uh, to its very specific local context and, and handled differently. 
Michelle Grabner, along with her co-artistic director Jens Hoffman, are currently preparing the first edition of Front, an international triennial of contemporary art opening in Cleveland in 2018. Uh, how we're structuring uh, the residency here, I, I think, is really important to me, and I'm, I'm watching it carefully. And that is, and it's, it's confusing to the other the other hosting institutions who are part of Front, right? So MoCA Cleveland, you know, is part of Front. They have many artists uh, that will be participating in MoCA Cleveland, um, some of them commissioning new work, some of them not, um, who will be residence artists. And that means, you know, in some cases they will come to Cleveland and do research and come to understand the city, but maybe the project is not, uh, you know, the project is realized differently. So it's not that they're going to be a resident art artist, and while they're in residence, they have to realize their project for MOCA. It's a little confusing for MOCA. They, they don't understand this to be a typical, um, uh, what they understand to be a typical residency. And, and, and I hear myself saying to them many times over that, you know, this is an experiment and that um, outcomes for the residency are not articulated ahead of time. And that's really important. And I direct them to, you know, ideas of progressive education around Black Mountain College um, and thinking about education right now and how we're outcome driven and what that does to, to artists. And, and that some artists, artists pretty much know what they, they need to do. We give them the conditions of a living space, a working space. We give them support. And then we work with them to help them decide what they need and how they need to succeed in it. That's interesting to hear you talk about um, the... Yeah, thinking about a, a non-result-based um, residency. But there is also this kind of statement that you've made around these residencies, which is that a residency program can help us to ameliorate the often lacking relationship between an events local and regional art scene and the global artistic discourses. So it's yes, interesting yes. to think about if, if that indeed is the goal and that is the kind of projected or desired outcome. I think absolutely that would be the case for um, a, a Cleveland, right, which is considered an interior American city um, that has its own kind of its relationship to regionality is, is very specific to both the Great Lakes region or Ohio as a political structure. You know, the locality uh, of Cleveland itself, you know, art communities uh, within it, and then bringing international artists to Cleveland. We we find ourselves articulating that in words all the time, but to put that in action is, is very important. Um, well, it's one of the value structures. It, I think it is what an international exhibition um, is by nature, but to be able to have that a kind of conduit that happens in, in real place in real time, as opposed to just words coming out of a curator's mouth, that this is you know, the goal of, of an international exhibition, but to able to artists to enact those words mm -hmm. uh, in the form of a residency is, is very important. Yes, thank you. That is, that is spot on. Mm -hmm. There are two through lines, as I see them, that emerged from this hour of interviews. One is the idea of community, that it should drive somehow this perpetuation of itinerancy. The second is inspiration, that somehow it can be jolted or provoked by dropping into a different environment. It was thought-provoking to revisit these themes with Lauren as we reflected on the episode's various subjects. What we're really talking about is some kind of way of almost physically grasping artistic practice. 
or placing it, positioning it, being able to witness it. Because artistic practice is, is so nebulous. Yeah. And not even inspiration. Everything about it, of course, I mean, there's, uh, you know, that's why it's so fascinating. That's why the figure of the artist is so romantic. It's like, this is a, essentially a magic. And the idea of a residency is saying, this is a place where magic happens. Yeah, like what is required? Yeah, exactly, it's what is required. So it's like, what is the potion here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the end of all of this research that we've done, are we any closer to understanding what those conditions need to be or are we further away? I don't know, what about you? Do you think we've gotten closer to anything? Yes, we got closer. We got closer. I've really enjoyed, for instance, Christy Trinier talking about what this can do for Indigenous artists. Like, there were a few moments like that where I was like, oh, I can hold on to this. In fact, I needed some more optimism around what this whole structure can provide. And Christy was one particularly strong proponent for optimism around uh, the machinery of artist residencies. Yeah. Um, I was grateful for that. I mean, I I also recognize that it's um, it's probably wrong to count the legs on this table because it is so provisional. It is in many cases artists sort of like improvising around the fact that they're not home for a while and what should they do with that home, like in Mara 10, right? Or um, that, that the very nomadacy that they're participating in should somehow be reflected in a sort of institutional fashion, if only to account for, you know, artists feeling homeless. Like there's, <laughs> there's a quality to a lot of this where we're like, we're trying to um, place something that is placelessness itself. And I found that useful. know what they need. I really believe that. And um, um, hopefully, <laughs> you know, they, they continue to know what they need when they're, you know, in different situations, different residency situations, and insist upon that. I think at its best, that's what a residency does is introduce artists to the community and make a, a real bond or a real connection that shifts the artist practice but also um, makes the town more dynamic and, and more interesting to live in. episode, Lauren and I tried to draw the artist residency's shape and to weigh its parts, speaking to artists, curators, residency directors, and each other, and finding our skepticism matched by a nagging enthusiasm, because who doesn't want to believe in this idea? To quote John Berger, we are pushing our prodigious energy to forge links of friendship, political solidarity, shared poetry, and hospitality, and I can get behind that. Thank you to the Canada Council for making this podcast possible. 
MoMA's requires the support of its audience to continue with this project and increase its frequency. So please consider visiting patreon.com backslash art to pledge your support. Thank you to my terrific co-host and co-producer, Lauren Wetmore. Thank you to everyone we spoke with and our editor, Angela Shackle, with assistance from Braden Labonte. I'd also like to thank our assistant producer, Mitra Sriaram, and Kyle McCrea for his music compositions. And finally, many thanks to NTS, our host. This has been Momus the Podcast, Episode 2, and I'm Sky Gooden.